Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Monday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio, but there's only one place to begin. Let's turn the clock back to the Aviva Stadium Sunday afternoon. That's come off a green shirt, and that'll be a corner kick for the dock on the left-hand side, and a chance for Brian Gartland to wander forward, and Sean Hoare, neither of whom have scored in the Cup this season so far. Left-hand side, right-footed in swinger to the centre of the six-yard box, and it's won by Sean Hoare, and Sean Hoare has headed that past Mark McNulty and the Amass Cork City defenders, and Dundalk lead, 19 minutes on the clock, Dundalk 1, Cork City nil. What a header that is, great set-piece as well, great delivery from Michael Duffy, have we seen all season, always delivers it. Fantastic leap by Sean Hoare to win that header in front of Mark McNulty, who had come, and there's a penalty kick, is it? Surely it is! And the challenge by the same player who scored at the opposite end, Sean Hoare, on Carl Shepherd and Cork City have a chance to level. 100%. Tries to get the ball around him. He has him on the, on the right side. He's just forced him away from goal and he's tried to stick his foot in. Kieran Sadler versus Gary Rogers. Can Gary Rogers keep him out? And he go. Oh, it's gone right underneath Gary Rogers. I think Kieran Sadler gave him a chance there. But it beats Rogers and Corker level. I think he has the chance to save that. I really do. I think he's going to be disappointed. He's went the right side. He knows he's went low. I think it's just Kenny just lifting both his arms repeatedly in the air like a conductor, looking to urge more from his team down there. Can talk havoc now. Jamie McGrath wins that back on halfway. Now it's Sean Gannon with a chance to come forward. Sadler tries to get back at him. It's here. It's towards Patrick McAlaney. And Patrick McAlaney has scored. McNulty gets a touch on it, but can't keep it out. And Patrick McAlaney makes it 2-1 for the dog. Get in there. Pulls you. Just get Gannon higher and up the pitch, and that's what it's all about. What a header as well. And there's McNulty again. I don't think his hands work. I really don't think his hands work. Patrick McAlaney... We said it earlier on, is this the day when Patrick McElhaney makes a big game impact for the dog? He's made a big game impact. It's 2-1 and Patrick McElhaney has got the second. card is brandished by the referee. I think it was the Gartland. But there's the man with no hands and his gloves is up for the corner as well. So Mark McNulty is forward. Everybody inside that penalty area, save for Barry McNamee, who's taking this free kick. Everyone in there in a green shirt. Everyone in there in a white shirt. Do or die for Cork City. Can Dundalk hold out? In by McNamee, into the mixer, into the six-yard box. Who's it going to fall for? It's fallen for Cork, but somehow they don't get the shot away. And it's cleared by Dundalk. And there's the final whistle from the and referee. It's, get in there. it's all over. Dundalk are FAI Cup champions for 2018. And Patrick McElhaney is being swapped by teammates. And Dundalk supporters are going wild inside Aviva Stadium. Look at that for a crowd. The black and white are happy again. Stephen Kenny has got his double. Stephen Kenny with yet another double for Dundalk. And how they celebrate. Revenge after heartbreak over the last two years against Cork City at this very same stage 
of this competition. Oh yeah, the excitement at the Aviva yesterday. Adrian Taft there in commentary, uh, joined by Tiernan, Tiernan Mulvena on analysis as well. What a day, what a memorable day to culminate a wonderful, wonderful season for Dundalk. A double, the League and Cup, very, very difficult to do. Well, earlier this morning, I caught up with the main man. Yes, Stephen Kenny, the manager, wallowing in his success and very assured, I have to say, uh, this morning when I spoke to him. And I began by asking Stephen how he was feeling the day after the night before. Oh, yeah, we're, we're very, obviously we're thrilled, really, to win to win yesterday. And, uh, you know, it was a... It's very euphoric in the stadium, you know. There's just such a, such a tremendous support um, and such a level of passion around the ground. You felt, and that transmit tr- transmitted to the players. I felt, and they fed off the the energy of that, and that was that was uh, that was brilliant. It was some game because normally Dundalk Cork games and cup finals they've been wars of attrition. It was a cracking game yesterday. Yeah, well, listen, we, we probably in the first half um, the way Cork set up tactically, you know, they negate space in midfield and Robbie Benz and Patrick McElhenney were finding it difficult to get any space because they sort of uh, play sort of with four in that central area and um, it can space is at a premium you know and I think the only space was really on the left flank and, and Michael Duffy was 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 causing problems throughout throughout the game really and on the on the left flank and I think uh, but as the game opened up with the introduction of Jamie McGran was sort of we were a bit more flexible in how we approached it and uh we had better movement from Patrick and Patrick McElhinney and Robbie Benson and so forth. And we, uh, I thought we dominated the second half. And the uh, goal looked imminent. And thankfully, it was just great to get a goal like that late in the game. You know, fantastic. Yeah, you couldn't write a script like that. From a manager's point of view, it's an ideal time to score, isn't it? <laughs> well, you take a few minutes later, no problem. <laughs> but um, the last 10 minutes were, were, uh, were, you know, you're never sure. But I think, listen... It was just it was, it was magnificent. It's been a great season from the players. They've you know been rampant really from the mid season onwards, and um, they've been obviously unbeaten in that period, and uh, they've been exceptional. And it was a tough game because obviously having lost um, last year, and like obviously it's been an epic four finals. And had we lost again this year, uh, it would have been hard for people to stomach that, and it would have been, it would have been for, for for me and for the players because. We know we we you know we we've um, possibly left one at least one cup behind us. So we um, you know it was very important to win yesterday, and I felt it was before the game. Our preparations were very good, and um, you know as opposed to other years when we were sort of flying in St Petersburg on a Friday and trying to play and so forth. We um, you know our preparations were excellent, and um, we were really really well prepared and and. Uh, in the end, worthy winners. Double double now for Stephen Kenny. The leagues, league cups. You know, you're leading a golden era at Oriel Park. Yeah, it's a privilege to be a part of it. Really, I think um, you know it's a whole whole host of people really contributing. Um, you know, and the manager, but have an amazing background team. You know, and um, all the, all the technical staff, any part system manager, and all of the staff are really uh, have been terrific and. Everyone behind the scenes, really, all the volunteers connected to the Dock FC, and and um, everyone who works at the club, and you know, it's a it's a real a real collective effort, and I think um, you know the growth really has seen. <coughs> we're we're coming to Aviva Stadium, and you know, there's no fatigue from supporters going like because 
you think after four years, you know, that obviously the people who are passionate and go every week would go, but the, the, the sort of floating supporter mightn't. And, um, but to, to, especially after a disappointment or two, but to see the level of passion in the ground, yeah, yesterday was, was incredible. And, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was just a, just a magnificent feeling to, to win it. In that, you know, like that, and to celebrate with the support and with the players to celebrate with each other, and they really enjoyed it, and and, and they should rightly. Now the dust is only settling, and of course you have tonight as well, and the big night in Dundalk when you'll be officially welcomed home and honoured by the civil authorities as well. But as you sit here today and reflect and look look ahead, at, because I know you're a man who uh, uh, welcomes a challenge. What what was the challenge for Stephen Kenny? You, you've won everything in this country. You've taken the club to the group stages of the Europa League. You're back in the Champions League next year. What is it? What's going to drive you on? <laughs> well, I think um, I think we'll enjoy this one first, Sherry. I think we'll we'll absolutely just enjoy tonight. Mm. And uh, we it was it was it was a, gr- a great feeling um, in the stadium, particularly. That's for me. That's the best part of it. You know, you know, you can have every kind of celebrations or every kind of night and that. And the players really enjoyed last night together with their partners and families. But and, and that that can be that can be um, th- that was a great memories. But in the in the aftermath of the whistle going, that next twenty minutes is always the best part for me. And um, if you if you're asking me, it's never been about a trophy count for me. You know, it's never been about trying to uh, get it. In a, you know, trying to. Um, Count how many trophies you won or anything like that. I think it's about um, creating those amazing sort of moments, um, whether it be league titles, particularly league titles. That those FAI Cup uh, moments are quite euphoric, and the big European nights, mm. which are which are really exceptional. And I think um, so. That's that's really. <laughs> you know that's that's that that's really the motivating for, and that's what will continue to motivate you and drive you forward. Yeah, and and and, and everyone, mm. you know, I think that's everyone. You 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 want to be part of something special. You don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to, if you're going to commit so much and you're going to, uh, you know, everyone's going to make so so many sacrifices. You don't you don't want to to be you don't want to be involved in something that's sort of mediocre. Mm. You want to you want to be involved in something that's really exceptional and special, and um, if you're gonna if you're gonna work as hard as the players work, if you're gonna sacrifice everything, uh, you, you know it has to be for something, and that's 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 the way to view it. Did you ever believe the day the boys approached you, they rang you and said, Stephen, want to meet you? We have a proposition here for you. We want you to become the next Dundalk manager, and they pitched their vision to you. Did you honestly believe that these years later? All this success would have followed, and what's happened, and this experience you talk about. Um, that seems a long time ago now. Mm. I think that, that that conversation, but no, we couldn't. Like, if you ask me to speak honestly, no, we couldn't. We couldn't envisage that we, we would have went as successful as it has been. But um, we'll enjoy it while we can. <laughs> Absolutely. You also have, of course, new owners at Dundalk at this stage, and the Americans were in force in the stadium yesterday and enjoying this success as well is there a different dynamic there is it just the same as what you enjoyed with the two boys and now these new people involved listen Andy Connolly and Paul Brown were brilliant um, you know uh, in terms of brilliant owners of the club um, and you know the, the new 
the new um, owners, uh, Mike Tracy's chairman, have been have been very supportive as well, and um, certainly. Uh, so no, I'm I'm just really focused on the team itself and and um, and the background team because you know we could lose members of the background team and that would hurt us, you know. So I think that's that's important to me. Uh, it's not always evident, to, you know, to everybody, but those key people behind the scenes. And uh, so th- th- those things are always important to me. And um, also, uh, you know, shaping the squad for the future. So these things are are the, are the, are the, are the, are the important factors for me. Anyway, congratulations again. Uh, you are remarkable and you are leading something really special here. Really, really special. And yesterday... The cup, I'm sure, was the icing on the cake for this season. Enjoyed this evening and the celebrations and a nice rest now for the uh, close season because it won't be long coming round again. Yeah, I know, yeah, that's right. <laughs> afraid, afraid, to, afraid to consider that. No, we're back, we'll be back in, in, in quite a few weeks, so mm. the players will uh, have a couple of weeks off and then it'll be back intermittently before Christmas and uh, back full-time straight after. So it'll be that's the nature of the business, and uh, it's great. It's great to be involved in it, really. And uh, we'll we, uh, we'll enjoy tonight, or we'll enjoy this period for us because doubles are not that. Uh, when you win the, the the league and the FBI Cup, it's rare enough over the over the decades. And when, when you sometimes when you when you do that, there's nothing wrong with just reflecting and, and enjoying it. You know? I can understand that, Stephen. Yeah. Listen, thanks so much for your time again today, and well done to all concerned. Thank you, thank you, Jay. John Mountney, one of the heroes of the season in Dundalk, league and cup double winners. How does that fit with you? Yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's a bit surreal, I suppose. We were, we were celebrating till all hours last night, and uh, great occasion. Who signed you for Dundalk? Sean McCaffrey, 2012, the f- our first time here. It was myself and uh, myself and Chris that are still part of part of the team at the minute. Um, obviously Sean passed away a couple of, a few years ago which was very sad and he, he was a great man for myself and Chris and uh, for a lot of a lot of players that came through the ranks of you know through Irish setups and uh, and different things like that I spoke to Stephen Kenny uh, just a few moments ago and was talking about when he was approached to come here when you came here it was even before that and there wouldn't wouldn't have been any hint of this incredible time no like you said you, you couldn't have imagined it from the start what is it? Four since I've been here, it's been four four league trophies, two F, two FAI cups, and two of them doubles, and it's just uh, it's unbelievable to be part of that. What about from here? You know, I know it's the morning after, and you're celebrating, and will celebrate now for a few days and weeks, I'm sure, John. But looking forward to Champions League football again, special. Of course, like you said, we'll we'll kick on for another couple of days and enjoy this moment and. You know, I suppose winning the league, we, we, of course, you celebrated and what an unbelievable feeling it was. But I suppose now's the time you can reflect. You know, the season's finished after winning the, the league and the cup, and you can take it all in, and, and it's it's brilliant. And like you said, there's even winning yesterday, there was one of the lads shouted only you know, 10 minutes after the, the whistle went and we'd won, won the, the cup, done the double. Someone shouted, if only we'd won the, the, the treble, the EA Cup. So that's always sort of the mindset here at the club, and, and it's great. And like you said, next year. Champions League football, it's a uh, it's, uh, it's great position to be in, you know, and to be involved in that. Yourself and Chris Shields, ever-presence and here from before it began and still here and going on into the future. What about this current team and the current squad? Because there's been changes and Stephen has had to rebuild. How does this one compare? Yeah, I suppose every year sort of, it's been tough, I know, since I've been here. Steve, like, you know, our, our, our 
you know, star star, star players sort of um, have have moved on, and it's uh, I suppose you have to build in again. You know, there's always that thing. You know, when you're losing your best players, but the likes of Michael Duffy this year, obviously Pat Hoban's in contract, and you know Michael Duffy to to, to sign back. You know, in the position he was in is is a strong message from the club. You know that what we're, where we're going, I suppose, and. Uh, you know, it's only getting stronger and stronger. Like I said, I think everyone's bar two or three sorting out contracts are are contracted for the next year or two, and uh, and Stephen as well. So uh, the club's in a great position, and it's uh, it's a great great place to be. When you look at what you've achieved this year and all you've achieved at the club, the cup was a little bit of a bugbear because you lost the last two. I take it that there was such a determination in that dressing room yesterday not to lose three in a row. Yeah, exactly. But um, I suppose our mindset going into the game was thinking of our recent form. You know, we were a lot of people were saying, you know, we, we owed them one, but we were just thinking our form has been has been good, and, and we need to stay stay playing the way we have been. And uh, you know, obviously not to be thinking about you know recent results in the Aviva. So uh, that was our mindset. But of course, it, it's always in the back of your mind. You know, there's, there's such a difference between that feeling of losing it in the Aviva is is uh, it's not nice you know it's an awful way to end your your season so it was great to go on out in the high last night and um I think we went up to Oriel Park last night uh, the bus stopped off and like Brian Gartland said in the when he had said a few words to the fans it was um there wasn't much need to be said on occasion like that just before the the whistle went you could hear the Dundalk fans and uh I think we outnumbered them there yes saying it was it was uh it was brilliant to see, you know, and the atmosphere was electric, sort of, and that gives you gives you a push to go on, and it's just great to celebrate then together, you know, the fans, the players, the family, everything. It's just a great occasion, and to celebrate together was just amazing. I have to say, fresh and well, you're looking. Uh, I was the, the, say, I'm, I'm holding it well together here. I haven't <laughs> stunned right. <laughs> you are, John, and you have to okay. go again this yeah, evening. Exactly. Anyway, congratulations to you, and enjoy. All right, thanks very much. Cheers. Thank thanks you. Brilliant. The man who lifted the cup for Dundalk yesterday is with me, completing a memorable season. He lifted the league trophy a few weeks ago, now the cup yesterday. Brian Gartland, you'll go down in history as probably the captain of one of the best League of Ireland sides ever. How does that feel? Listen, it's it's just to be part of the team is is something else. Obviously, it could be anyone there, you know, with that armband, with team and leaders all over the place. And obviously, Stephen, I was honest, been a captain for the five six years I'm here. But um, to be part of this team and and yeah, to go down in history as as part of this team and and with such success and so many trophies is a. Uh, it's, I suppose it's something I don't think about too much now, but it will be great, and it was something that I suppose I look forward to thinking about when I finish playing, but that's that's a long way away. Is it extra special to get the win over Cork? Yeah, of course it is. You know, It's it's the big rivalry in Irish football for the last few years, and uh, there's no secret about us. The two of us push each other on more um, the whole time because you know there has been a gap down below. So without each other, you know what I mean, your success is, I suppose... Um, it's made even better when you when you when you have a bit of competition with you. You were playing with Porter Down when Dundalk came calling. Um, big contrast from there to here. With all due respect to them. Yeah, it was, and it was completely different. But I loved my time up there, and it was a different league. The league down here was, I suppose, the crash had come in terms of um, the economy, and the the league down here just sort of fell back a bit. So that's why how I ended up there, and I enjoyed my time. But yeah, it's it's completely different. I couldn't envision. This happening, but um, listen, all for it. What was it like yesterday coming back with the trophy to Oriel Park? I believe you had a few words with the fans there. Yeah, I've been put on the spot a couple of times by the lads and, and by different people, you know, for a few words. But um, uh, I suppose I'll be known for rambling on a little bit, so I tried to just say a few words, not much, and uh, 
suppose, start the song, and then that takes it from there, and you know, slip away. This manager you have, Stephen Kenny, I've spoken to him in the past few moments here. He's a very humble man, and he's just so appreciative of all that's happened at this club and all the uh, trophies that have come. And but it's the people and the occasion and the experience he's talking about. Tell us, tell us about Stephen Kenny. What has he got? Um, it's something I suppose they, they say. You know, you can't really describe when someone's got. They can't talk about it in the in the music industry as the X factor. But um, he's just got that that aura about him. He's got that ability to get the best out of players, to uh, to improve players, and especially young lads to, I suppose, set their their sights higher than what they may have been thinking, and, and create an environment for them to thrive and improve if they want to, you know. And, um, and if there's any little bit of of motivation in there, he'll get that out of them and he'll increase it, and and he'll drive people on. And you see what he does as well in terms of bringing people together. And you know he can be a bit of a showman himself, uh, and that's that's part of the job. And it's brilliant. You know he gets the crowd behind us, he gets everybody around us, he gets everyone together, and everything is one. And um, yeah, it's listen. I suppose sometimes it's you know you can't describe some things. You know it's just they just have it, and it just happens. Is that the big thing about this group? The tightness, the camaraderie, the togetherness of everybody? Yeah, it's it's massive and I felt this year we've had it as much or more than ever. Uh, and last night was was an absolutely brilliant night with you know an occasion like this and I suppose a celebration like this all together with friends and family has been coming and it will only make us stronger and there's a great group of lads, you know, off the pitch there's there's good crack in them and there's not a bad bone between in anyone, you know. Um so it, uh, it's it's all the sweeter then when you have success when you when you have a good group like that. When you win the league, of course, it's the pinnacle. You're the best side in the land over a long season, and there's nothing to take away from that. But there's something special about cup final day, isn't there, at the yeah. Aviva? Listen, the league obviously is a, is your big thing, and that's ultimately the best the best team in the country. But um, that was done and dusted a month ago, and you're sort of waiting for it to to lift the trophy, and you know it's coming. But the, the cup is it's on the day you're in the national stadium. You've got thirty thousand people there yesterday and you have to win on the day. You have to win that day if you want to lift that trophy and um it just changes everything from from a league game and uh, that's what makes it so special. That's why people love cup football and knockout competition. Brian, congratulations. Thanks again for joining us on late lunch this afternoon. Thanks for winning cheers. Sorry. General manager of Dundalk Football Club Martin Connolly is with me. Well, for you, after yesterday, there's more work to be done tonight because we're going to talk for a moment about what's happening in mm-hmm. the town this evening. Yeah, Jerry, look, it's, it's, it's a great day. It ends up, uh, finishes a great year, you know, difficult in stages, but um, tonight uh, we'll end it up. We have a civic reception in town and we'd encourage, I know it's, it's, it's not a great day at the moment, but, but we'd encourage everybody to come out and, and give the players and staff the homecoming that I think, and they, I, I think people will recognise it's, it's the homecoming that they deserve after a tremendous year and finishing off with a tremendous day and a tremendous victory yesterday. So what time does it kick off from this evening? Where, you, where will they enter the town from? Well, they'll enter the town from, historically, they, enter, they take the cup over Hill Street Bridge, and that's something that we want to continue, you know. That, um, but on a, on a cold Sunday, November 9th, it's not always easy to do it, so we've moved it to the Monday. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be in an open-top bus, and they'll, they'll, uh, I hope that they'll come over Hill Street Bridge around about half five, heading for the, 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 the square for the civic reception for six o'clock, shortly after six o'clock. 
There's sure to be thousands upon thousands of Dundalk fans from all over the region heading for the town tonight. And it is an occasion to savour and celebrate. Martin, a double is never easy to win. Jerry, it's a double-double. Mm, I, I know that I mentioned people. earlier. I, you had to say it. He had it's to get not it. A I double, know. It's a double-double, you know, after, uh, uh, from a few years ago as well. And listen, it is, a, and, and as I think somebody said to me, just as the final whistle went, uh, yeah, so when's this party going to end? And I hope it doesn't, you know, from, from you know, it's, it's, it's been unbelievable couple of years and uh, we want to continue and the way to continue that is to keep winning and, and hopefully we can do that you know for yourself when you're behind the scenes and I, I don't think people honestly understand the difficulties the challenges all that goes on there but it is as Stephen Kenny said to me earlier it's a team effort but for you on the administration side you know it's just you must pinch yourself, do you, when you see days like yesterday? Oh, yeah, of course you do. Yeah, and, and Exactly. And from a fella like me that, that, that comes from Dundalk and, and came up through the ranks, I, I think at one stage I've done nearly every job that there is available in Orient Park. I'm sure I can find some others to do. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant and, and it makes all the hard work worthwhile, you know. I, uh, I know people were celebrating it from early yesterday. I, I only celebrated last night, and I hope to make up for it at some stage today. But, but uh, you know, listen, you, you do, and there is times that you pinch yourself, and, and when you're playing in Europe and you're in all the uh, uh, big cities and playing really, really good teams and really fantastic stadiums, you do have to pinch yourselves. And, you know, that is a challenge for us. We know we, we don't need people to tell us. Uh, what we have in Orient Park, but what we have is an amazing group of supporters and with passion and drive, and that that sort of keeps you going a wee bit as well, you know. So that's a project for another day because yeah. today is the day to celebrate a double double, as he said himself. Yeah. Half five this evening over Hill Street Bridge into the town centre, then for the civic reception. Enjoy, Martin Connolly. Thank you very much, Terry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Just when you thought Halloween was over, I'm looking at a book here sitting in front of me with a skull on it and deep darkness in the skull. It's called Foster's Book of Irish Murder and the man himself, Alan Foster, is with me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Alan, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thanks Thank for you for me. joining me today. I have to say, uh, I didn't know what to expect of this book, but the intrigue, what you've done, it's absolutely brilliant. This book uh, covers a period from when to when? From the middle 1700s until the, the middle of the last century, Jerry, uh, I picked picked it that way on purpose, so uh, there was no one around alive now to come and... Yes, you know, I understand. Uh, but may I say, if you look at Ireland today, look at, the la- look at the weekend just gone by and the number of murders that have happened in this country. Fair to say that murder was a rarity. Oh, absolutely. There was literally be only a handful of murderers in, in a year and there'd be huge news. So every aspect of the murder case would be reported in the local newspapers and the, the papers would full of every aspect of the trial. There could be thousands of words in each edition and the, the demand was such from the local people for murders in their region that the uh, newspapers would keep reprinting the copies until they satisfied the, each demand for the 
Now, you did a lot of research. You say yourself, you spent a lot of time in the company of murderers, but it was certainly only for research purposes, library and looking back on these cases, yes. Oh, it was an incredible undertaking to mm. look to all newspapers and books, and I literally have three uh, phone directories, thickness of files, so just uh, the, over- the research was overwhelming when you find mm. so much detail about uh, the uh, unusual cases that I have. Now, there are cases from all over the country, but this afternoon I want to concentrate on a few in the book that are pertinent to where you are today here in the North East. Now, the first one happened uh, at Trim Industrial School back in February 1912. Tell us about this one. This was a really unusual case because um, boys uh, killed their teacher with, with hurley sticks and... Uh, the, the schoolboys were in an industrial school and they were orphans and the children of people in the various workhouses throughout the county. And uh, they were housed in the old trim jail, which must have been really for, foreboding for them. Mm. And the, the teacher they killed was in charge of 40 boys. And uh, on, on the evening of 12th of February, um, this teacher was found unconscious in the boys' yard after being badly beaten. And uh, even then it was clear he was dying. Uh, and he died a few hours later and uh, the uh, police were called in at the time and eight boys, five of whom were on their 16, were charged with the murder and sent for trial a few weeks later. I mean, uh, the trials and for the murder, was, there was no delaying in There was no delaying in those days. And the, and, the, and the victim was John Kelly from Russian County Dublin. He was 27 years of age and he had charge of 40 boys, was it, within the, the school 40 there? boys in total, I think, there could have been anywhere from 120 to 150 boys in the school, but one person in charge of 40 boys was... Mm. Uh, a huge undertaking. So these young lads, and they were young, we have to say, they'd be regarded as minors, would, would they today, in today's court context? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 And uh, they beat the living daylights out of this fella. They they all got together in the yard, and as he passed through them, came into the yard, and I, I think they, they dared him to come to night and said they were going to beat him, and he, and he paid no attention and came to the yard, and he... He turned his back on them and they literally beat, beat him to death with brushes, hurley sticks and, and sticks. I mean, I'm sure they didn't, man- they didn't yes. mean to, to kill him, but to yeah. inflict a beating on him, I'm sure. He must have been so hated by the yeah. the boys. Now, how many were charged, did you say? Eight boys and five of them on their 16 were sent for trial. And ultimately, uh, five of them were found guilty of manslaughter and re- repeated, received prison sentences from one to three years with hard labour, which would have been... Hard labour, yeah. yeah. They would have paid for it is right. Now, why? This is the question that still probably remains outstanding to today. The, the motive was never proven. No, it really wasn't. The prosecution claimed that Kelly was kind and humane to the boys in his charge and never had given them any reason to attack them. The school headmaster taught the boys and might have taken offence at some small matters, such as Kelly stopping and playing Hurley in the yard, but was there a darker motive for the boys' hatred of Kelly? We, we don't really know. The defence the, the asked one of the boys uh, if if they were in dread of Kelly and, and if he would do anything to them at night. And one boy admitted that they did not want him to come among them at night and added that Kelly wasn't popular. At this point, the judge warned the defence that he was taking a dangerous line of defence in, in suggesting motive of this kind. And uh, in, in the summing up, the defence attorney reminded the jury 
of the kind of human material that drifted into control of these industrial yes. schools. So, so uh, in other words, what you're saying there, uh, there was a point, or uh, they were trying to point towards perhaps abuse. I, I think so, yeah. Yes. I think even Some then, form of uh, abuse. Even then, they, they must have known that the conditions in these industrial schools and, and such were, yeah. weren't, weren't great. Yeah, when they say there they didn't like him coming among them at night time and that questioning, which you detail very well there, that went on uh, in the trial itself and the judge intervened there yeah. to say, hold on a minute. But that was the clear implication uh, that there was an abuse element to this and that they lashed out then. They went after him and unfortunately and sadly, he paid with his life uh, for this. So they got between one and three years uh, detention and hard labour. They really did. And, and uh, such was the, their reputation that um, they would have. some of them would have got a lesser sentence, but uh, the other industrial schools wouldn't have them admitted to their charge. Yes, and yeah. so they ended up going to prison. And, uh, My God, their lives so were changed forever. Uh, I'd imagine so. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what yeah. happened after. But As a result of this. That was back in 1912. Now, the other one in your book, Encounting Me, we're bringing uh, the years forward here to 1946, the 5th of October, 1946, wartime in Europe. And it involves a, a young woman called Alice Gerrard. What happened here? She was shot at night with with a shotgun, but no one claimed to have heard the shots. And, and she was asleep in her bed on the the fifth of October, nineteen forty six. And uh, her mother heard a sound and went into her bedroom. She had a baby. She had a baby in, in the bed with her, and the baby started to cry. So she went to bed. Uh, went to bed at about early late evening, let's say, and about half eleven at night, the baby was crying an awful lot. So the mum went to see what was happening. That's right, and she went in to investigate, but the the lamp that was in the room had gone out. So she edged her way around the room in the darkness, and she came to the bed and uh, felt her daughter's head was 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 wet. The bed was wet, and um, she managed to um, light the lamp again. And um, I'm sure she found she was in hell that her her daughter was dead. Horrific uh, scene, it must have been horrific. Because they say, um, Alan, or you say in your book that it was a shotgun she was shot with. That's what I've read in the reports, a shotgun. No, we know the sound of a shotgun. My God, the sound. Like if it was a rifle and you could dim it a bit, you know, to you, you might hear a pop. But a shotgun. It, it seems incredible. But um, no one... And would blow her head. Like, well, if it was close to the head, maybe you'd put her... But, like, you could only imagine the scene that she greeted her there. The the mother ran from the house with the baby. Yeah, she ran to the neighbours to look for help. And uh, the guards came uh, and uh, saw the scene, sealed off the scene, and eventually it was established that Alice had been shot. And um, they started investigating the the circumstances of the mm. crime. Now, it's, it's said that Alice had a number of lovers, so they obviously started an investigation to see who these these men were. But pretty quickly, uh, the inquiry took them to a guy called, what was his name, McManus, was it? Joseph McManus. He, he was actually living in the caravan in the, the yard of a man called Larry Rogers in Flower Hill in Avon. Navin was only a short distance distance away from Donamore. Where this uh, happened, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And um, Rogers had a gun, hadn't he? Rogers had a shotgun, and the guards knew that he was careless in securing it. And, and how they were managed to zoom in, in on that um, it must have been public knowledge to, mm. to them. And uh, they uh, inve- investigated McManus and and realised that uh, 
he must have been the the person who who killed her because uh, the gun was, the gun they they looked for the gun didn't they to examine the gun they examined the gun and the, and they found that scratches in the in the gun barrel matches uh uh were exactly matched broken window frame in yeah. the scene and that glass from the window in Alice's house was found in McManus's bed and uh, this evidence kind of sealed his fate and he was he was found guilty. Okay, so there were hand. traces of the glass and timbers from the break into the house found on the person or around the person of this guy, Joseph McManus. Yeah, and uh, the guards actually had uh, painstakingly uh, searched the route from Navan to... Uh, Donamore? Not Donamore. And, f- and found the spent cartridges... Okay, uh, as well. As well. Okay. So bit by bit, they pieced together evidence and this case went to court again quite quickly. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they didn't hang around in those days. And mm. if, you were, if you were found guilty of a murder and the appeal was denied, you would literally be hanged three, three weeks later. So he was found guilty on all the evidence that was presented and he was hanged. Yeah. There was no messing. There was no holding back here. Joseph McManus paid with his life. Yeah, that's right. Crime or justice was, was swift in, in, th- in those days. And uh, after he was executed, um, it was revealed that he had been chief suspect for a murder up in Fermanagh in 1923. Uh, but he had uh, joined the army and escaped uh, justice, joined the British Army and fled to, to India and escaped justice and he was forgotten about for years and when he came back. So they actually suspected he may have killed before. Yeah. yeah. It seems most likely. Mm. Yeah. Mm, because that was one that was never solved. So uh, there you have it. Hanged within, within days virtually, you know, of, of, of being convicted of the crime. Um, those two are the two stories in the book from uh, this neck of the woods, the northeast, but fairly close by. And I know where we have a lot of listeners as well. Uh, Bally Bay, County Monaghan as well. Lots of people listening. I know there this afternoon. Um, the story, you have the title on it here, The Cake of Death. Now, this is some story. Tell us about this one. Agnes McAdam lived up in Bally Bay and she was uh, friendly with all her neighbours uh, and uh, she lived with her, her brother and sister-in-law in the house. She was 52 years old and unmarried and uh, two priests from the locality were going out to Africa to the missions and the the local society had a party for them. 500 people were invited to the party and a neighbour of um, Agnes McAdams was in charge of gathering food and donations for the party. Agnes donated two cakes and um, the people who had uh, the Finnegans who had uh, all the food decided they had a lot of food and really should you know, try one of the cakes. <laughs> so the Finnegans were gathering the donations and the food and everything for this big do for the two priests. God, I'm just thinking that we have two priests on late lunch or coming up shortly as well. Isn't this just a coincidence today? Um, <laughs> you're okay, Father. So there's nothing sinister happening today. But they were gathering the food and the donations and um, this lady donated two cakes, was it, Agnes? Yep, yeah, she donated two no, cakes. No, she didn't make these cakes herself. No, but she she claimed she had she 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 had bought them a week before and hung them on the back of her bedroom door, and then she dropped them into the Finnegans and, as her donation and, said, and oh, contribution. They were just out of the oven, uh, and uh, <laughs> when in fact she just bought them. And, and here's the link, another local link I spotted. One of the cakes was made by Peter Lyons Bakery in Drogheda. 
It was a famous bakery here. It's no longer around. But one of the cakes I just saw in your research, I jumped out at me, came from the bakery here. And the other one was a, a local bakery there. So she left them in with this other family, unsuspecting. And as you said, they had... Lo- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Loads of donations, hadn't they? Lots. They really had too much, and, and the the the, the uh, husbands of the family said, "Oh, um, you know, we should really try, eat one of these." And they had they ate one with their with their tea. Now, talk about the eating of it, because when they cut the cake up, there was three of them there eating the cake, and the dog is involved here as well. One of the women in the house suspected there was something up with the cake, didn't they? Straight away, it, it tasted bitter, and the, the daughter of the family spat it out, and it, it, her piece spat went on the floor, and, and the. the the, the family dog. dog, family dog, ate that piece. Now leave that for a minute. The dog has eaten the piece of cake. The dad and the mam had plenty of the cake then as well. The, the father actually finished it, didn't he? I think he took the lion's share for himself, which was uh, really, oh, really sad. It was the wrong thing to do. And off he headed then to work, was it? Off he went to to work out gathering turf, I think, on, on the bog, mm. uh, and uh, he came back a few hours later in in agony. And uh, later that evening, and he died a few hours in absolute agony. He had been been poisoned. So he died, and the dog. Yeah, and his wife got very sick as well. I think she actually went blind at one stage, but mm. she she recovered. She was very lucky. And, yeah, and, uh, and the daughter who didn't partake at all was okay. She, I think she got a little bit sick, but yeah. she was fine. But she the, wasn't the worst. But the dad of the house and the poor old dog who ate the piece of cake that the daughter spat out on the ground yeah, met his Waterloo as well. From, uh, okay, so the cakes. What's the story with Agnes and our cakes? Agnes McAdam. What happened from there? Uh, eventually, the, the, the guards questioned her and uh, they, they quickly they found out, Finnegan said, that uh, she had donated the cake and she tried to put the blame onto the, the shop where she bought the cakes. Oh my God, uh, Lions Bakery, they wouldn't be happy with that. But uh, And the other the, shop. The, the retailers had said, no, the cakes weren't interfered and all that. And, mm. um, and uh, she had bought poison as stri- strychnine. Now here's the thing. To, to kill rats um, <laughs> yeah. the previous year and her, her, um, her name had been on the poison register in the shop. Okay, so she went in a year before, they had trouble with rats at the house, she signed for strychnine, 
brought it home or not. But that was a year previously. But obviously with investigation and trying to tie things together, the guards discovered this. They, they went to the house. She made a statement. She was very calm, though, wasn't she? She wasn't perturbed by this at all. No, she she wasn't. No, she uh, she kept calm throughout. But um, they were able to uh, build a, a solid case that she actually you know put. Uh, she laced the cakes laced with strychnine. Laced the cakes with strychnine. I think the 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 Finnegan man who who died from poisoning. He had taken four times as much poison that could kill a person. Mm. Uh, and uh, it went to trial, and she was found guilty. But um, she she wasn't hanged. I think she was sentenced to life imprisonment. Yeah, she was due to be hung, and days before an appeal saw that uh, sentence commuted to life in prison. I think she got then at that stage, didn't yeah. she? And what, what's most chilling about it is that it was a, a random poisoning, and there was no motive at all. She was in the best of uh, uh, of of. Uh, of um, companionship with her neighbours yes. no there was nothing there and when you think about it do you know what I was just thinking as I was reading it what would have happened conjecture had the cakes gone to the general big assembly where people were gathering to you know eat? oh absolutely a large number of those 500 people who could have that cake been multiple poisonings actually yeah. and, and, and killings because of it but she had no truck to bear there didn't seem to be a motive no none at all none at all just strange chilling, random, motiveless crime. Uh, I think she might have suffered from nerves and that was the only thing yeah. I could say about it but there was no no reason for it at all. That's, it's I know she got out of prison as well but um, she went then into care, didn't she, I think, when she got out and she eventually died in the 1960s sometime. Yeah. I think as, as a, a requirement for early release she would have been signed into the care of the uh, a religious a, a order, religi- was it? A religious order, and she would have been yes. you know, kind of forced to, to stay there. And she stayed there and, until I, her passing. Yeah, I think it was 1963, uh, you have there, that she, that she did pass at that stage. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's an, uh, hard to, to get your head around something like that. That's a really chilling case, and mm. uh, equally chilling, I found, was uh, a father. He, he killed his two sons, who were 9 and 11 years old, with, with poison again for their life insurance money. Back in the, in the eighteen ninety nine, that's another really chilling one. My God! And, and what part uh, was that? In, uh, obviously, a different part of the country. I've been looking at the local ones here. That yeah, was in, in, in Waterford, right? And uh, each boy was uh, insured for ten pounds. I'm sure that was a huge sum at first, that time. The first boy died, and uh, they said, "What a tragedy!" And then the second boy died in this similar symptoms, and they uh, performed an autopsy and uh, found that the boy had been poisoned and. Uh, eventually the father was found guilty and, and hanged. I think he was the oldest person to be to be hanged in Britain and Ireland. Both boys for insurance, when you think of it, in the late 18, 1890s, you were saying there. My God, so you know, you think that's a crime of today, a modern crime. You know, you hear them all the time where one or other in a, in a family gets rid of the other half in the hope of them claiming the insurance for massive money. But here you are, it was in the human psyche in Ireland. In the late 1800s. Yeah, another strange one was from uh, Newtown Stewart in Tyrone in 1871. Uh, imagine a case where a killer is put in charge of investigating his own murder. And that's what happened. Uh, Inspector Montgomery, he killed a bank clerk and stole money. And uh, he was first, he was his area and he first on scene. And uh, this, this William Glass was really beaten to death and he tried to convince his uh, subordinates that the man had committed suicide but they had were having none of it mm. 
and uh, it, it came clear the next day that uh, Inspector Montgomery was the, the last person seen leaving the bank and he became chief suspect and it took three court trials to find him guilty in the end and I think his last words were to the hangman and he, he said, uh, he asked the hangman uh, is, pain, is hanging painful? He he, uh, he knew within seconds, was it? He probably knew nothing about it at the time. But there really wasn't, when you look at Ireland in those days, it, it, unusual for that lady with the cake that was commuted to life in prison rather than hanging, but most people were hung if they were found guilty of major crimes. In the book, we, we you've touched on a couple yourself, I picked three of them from it there. Is there one more than others, just before we finish, that left its indelible mark on you? If you would pick one story from this book... Uh. I have a favourite one. No, yes. So I know it's a terrible thing to say about a murder. But no, the most that's okay. One that's what I'm looking from, for. It's from Leitrim, a small village in Leitrim called Kilclare. Um, a father, he uh, shot his son four times, twice in the head, once in the heart and once in the wrist and tried to uh, tell the police that his son had committed suicide. And if that story wasn't strange enough, um, as the son died, he raised his... his arm in front of him to ward off the shots and when he died the arm stayed in the air and uh, when they move, were moving the body um, a person decided to be more uh, decent to, to lower the arm to the to the uh, body's side to make mm. it more um, fit and but the rigor mortis had set in and as soon as the arm was, was lowered that uh, it slowly rose again and the the, the uh, boy's father was there right in front of the arm and the arm pointed at him and when he saw that the man had an epileptic fit and passed out and this was a very famous case back in 1902 it was even featured in Ripley's Believe It or Not as a cartoon really it's called the, the accusing hand or the corpse that pointed its murderer I think and the father was he was found guilty yeah. And it, it was clear from the outset that he was guilty. Um, and did he, he... He bought a pistol a week, bef- a few days before with 50 rounds and that's what he used to kill his son even though he tried to... Yeah, deny it. Innocence. And was he hung for it? He, he was hanged uh, in 1903. He was the last person to be hanged in Sligo jail. My God. Amazing, amazing. This is a great book. Well done to you. You've really done a wonderful job here. It's called Foster's Book of Irish Murder by Alan Foster. Wish you well and thank you for joining me today to recount some of the stories here. And you want to mention your local bookshop? Oh, thanks for having me, Jerry. Yeah, I really would love to mention my local bookshop in Trim, Antonia's Bookstore. She has signed copies of the book and I can personalise any copies if they get in touch with the Antonia's Bookstore. That's a great place. It It is. is. Long live the bookshop. Alan, lovely to meet you today. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. It's Mission Week at St. Peter's Parish in Drogheda. It started yesterday, runs to the 11th of November and it's taking place in Our Lady of Lourdes Church. And it's on every day from yesterday to the 11th. And we're going to talk about it on on late lunch for the next while now with two Dominicans because, you see, it's the Dominicans that are delivering this mission in Drogheda. And I'm delighted to welcome back to late lunch Father Luke Janssen, who you've met before. And he's joined by his colleague, Anna Drogheda, he is, Father David McGowan. 
Sovereign. You're both welcome to the show. Good to Thank see you. you. Thank much. you very Thank much you. for Thanks. joining us. Anyway, my memories as a child of the mission was fire and brimstone and the thumping of yeah. the pulpit as the priest was above everybody telling us that we were all damned and doomed, yes, David. Yeah. Well, you see, I don't have those memories because you have a, a few years on me, so they're not my memories of, of a mission. <laughs> but no, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I hope we're not going to condemn anybody to hell over the, the next week. You do that yourselves. We don't do that. <laughs> I love it. You're so right. You know what I mean? We can blame the church yes, for many yeah, things, yeah. but if you're heading down that road, are you listening? It's your own bloody fault. Anyway, David, David, tell us a little bit about you. You are a Drahana man. Where are you from in Drahana? I'm from the Cord Road. And uh, what took you to the priesthood? Well, I suppose th- there was a, a a huge period in my life, maybe 16, 17 years, where I wasn't practising my faith. I won't say I didn't believe, but I was certainly wasn't practising the Catholic faith. And I had a huge conversion experience down really to a visit I made to Lourdes. I went to Lourdes as a nurse to look after the sick out there and things just very simply things just changed for me I had a new perspective on on life a new perspective on on suffering a new perspective on what it meant to to have a relationship with with God to see the people in Lourdes with such strong faith and everything that they were were dealing with that was the conversion yeah that yeah, sums it up exactly. yeah basically yeah 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 so listen, you lived life to the full and went different <laughs> roads, obviously, for 16, 17 yeah. years. What did, yeah. you, what did you do before you... I was a nurse. I worked in the A&E in Drada. Okay. So I, I've seen everything. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and that that was an epiphany. You, you saw this. And, and, and was it just like that? Did you come back and say, I'm... Yeah, it, it was that, that dramatic. It was that dramatic. I come back from Lords a different... Different, different guy. Man. If you ask my family and friends, they'd say they'd say the same that I come back from Lords are different. Isn't that just person. amazing? Yeah. So, do you apply straight away if I can call no, it an application? No, no, because you you have to deal with this notion of oh my God, the Lord wants me to be a priest, and it doesn't always sit easy with with somebody. So, my notion was to to shop around, as it were, and see which which congregation, which order suited me, and also in the hope that I'd. I'd you know, apply, meet a vocations director as I did, and that he would say to me, I don't think this is for you. And mm. I could say, fine, I tried, <laughs> and I could walk away. Isn't that interesting <laughs> to say epiphany, but yet still there's yes. questions, which yeah. are always questions yeah. in life. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you did. So why Dominican? Well, I, I initially I had this huge romantic notion of becoming a monk, moving up the side of a of a mountain, and I tried that for a little while, and soon realised no, that's that's all that is is a romantic notion. But the Dominicans at the time when I was was shopping around, they were other young men were joining, mm. so I thought, well, they must be doing something, mm. something right. And then I got to know these these young men, got to know the Dominican spirituality, living in community, praying together, and a common a common mission really, and that was really attractive yeah. to me. And wearing the habit. Mm. An identity that was They're very, very distinct, I have to say. Yes. They really are. So, when did you enter? When did I enter, Luke? Help me out here. <laughs> Come on, watch here, Luke. Do you do you know the details? Two thousand and so I've, I'm. We were just saying this today. I'm nine years in the yeah. order, and Luke is eleven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think two thousand nine, and yeah. I think you yeah. either were visiting Limerick when I was That's there. Right, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's two years of Luke. earlier, Luke was my inspiration. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> They're a tag team, by the way. Just in case you didn't understand, they are really. They they look out for each other. So you took your vows when? How long ago? 
Well, what we do is we take after after one year of a novitiate, we mm. take simple vows. Yeah. So you make promises, poverty, chastity, obedience for for a period of three years. Yeah. And after that three years, if you're deemed suitable, or you decide that you want to, you you take vows for for life. So after one, two, three, four years in the order, you take your solemn profession, and then always working towards priesthood. Yeah. Yeah. And when did that happen? That happened two and a half years ago. Okay, yeah. and I had where my first mass actually in our in St Peter's Church in Drogheda. In Drogheda, yeah. So ordained in Dublin, and then the next day came to St Peter's Church. Terrific. And wh- where are you based now? In Tralee, in County Kerry. Kerry. Yes. Will you send a few of them footballers up this week to, <laughs> back to your home yeah, county, yeah. will you? Or a, <laughs> few a few women like up here that will hook up with a few loud men and get that. Mix the gene pool. Oh, please. <laughs> David, David, when I tell you, that is your mission. Yes, After okay, your visit okay, here to very, Late Lunch today, we're part of one of your missions. Father Luke, welcome back to Late Lunch. It really Thank is you. good to see you again. We heard your story last time you were here. What about this, you know, <laughs> perception that I mentioned there? Missions aren't like this, are they? You know, today you're not you know preaching you know you do preach of course but like it's not mm. the end of the world or this type of thing no 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 I think we I mean the, the approach I suppose it's a different time nowadays yeah it's a different time different culture um, but I mean I suppose the, the message to a certain extent is, is, is similar but it is more focused I suppose on, on the reality of God's presence in our lives uh, I mean I suppose one way of making God presence in people's lives is to tell them if they don't do this and that that they will meet God at the end mm. um, as an angry man um, but I suppose the reality is that that God has to be present in our lives but we don't think really the the, the way of just fear is the way to do it but rather to discover the richness of what it is to know God in one's life to see what difference it makes, as I said last time, my own life, the difference it makes to know God in one's own life, that is what really should drive um, our virtue, that should really drive how we live life. Mm. So by discovering um, that God is real, um, that God is in our lives, that allow that transformation to happen, and then our lives change because of that. And that's, I think that what, that is the way. Uh, we approach it. So the uh, carrot and stick is gone for sure. There's no point anymore. Anyway, when you look at this country, how <laughs> it's turned on its head <laughs> in the last half decade, decade, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's changed place. You know that well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Of course it has. I mean, Ireland is, even from when I was at, at, at school in the 80s and 90s, Ireland's a different country now than it was. Do you bemoan the Ireland that's gone? No, of course not. Things move on. Progression we don't look back. Mm. I mean, there are some things from the past that are there that, are, that are vital to today. Um, but if you look back, you're not looking forward. Yes. You're not looking forward, you're going to fall. But I, I think in particular about, like, we've had the same-sex referendum, we've yeah. had the abortion referendum, long before that divorce, mm-hmm. uh, contraception, all that. You know what I mean? Ireland is a, such a different landscape yeah. today. Yeah, and, yeah. and people aren't exactly flocking to the church. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you yeah, never, yeah. like, think... Um, are we wasting our breath here? Well, I don't think so. Um, because I think it, it's, we are always looking for... Uh, I think in an nature we're looking uh, uh, for what God can offer us. So our, we're not wasting our breath because we, we still proclaim the same message. Um, but we have to obviously do it in a way that is, is closer uh, to what people understand nowadays. So you have to adjust to the culture. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's what we're trying to do. And I think, to be honest, in the last now being an island for 17 years, 16 years, um, 
I can actually see that especially younger people are searching more and more uh, for God in their lives because they kind of start realizing this emptiness which opens up in society, which we can see in all kinds of uh, mm. different ways. Mm. Um, and that this emptiness can actually be filled uh, by rediscovering that God exists. But the sad thing is that so many people, even going through formation programs, just don't know anything about uh, God. And also, some people think they know everything about God, while in fact, don't really. They know nothing. Yeah. By the way, uh, fathers, I passed this morning. I had a little mission to do myself. I shouldn't have been out of work, but I had a little mission to do. You had a great crowd this morning, mm, hadn't we you? We did, yeah. yeah, yeah that was yeah. good. Was Must quite, yeah, be pleased. Yeah. Now, you're in the spotlight. Father Luke, you're up first tonight. You're delivering uh, tonight again in, in uh, the Lourdes Church. Finding faith, finding God. You alluded to it a little bit earlier on there about young people. You know, this gap in their lives, something missing. Is that what you'll be talking about. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. And I kind of, I suppose it's my own story of finding my fate when I was 20. Uh, Just remind 22. us of that quickly. Yeah, well, I was... You know what time you have. You <laughs> heard my producer. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, very quickly. Um, I came to Ireland only having not any fate at all, not being brought up with any fate when I was 21. And it was just to a, a colleague in work when I was doing my research project for my master's in engineering that, I, um, that we started to argue about science and microbiology, Big Bang, all these kind of things. And that really brought me to understand that it is logical to believe in God. But then I suppose it being logical and, and looking at it is one thing that doesn't really change one's life. Um, so he encouraged me to, to pray. We looked at the Bible, historical accuracy, archaeology, all these kind of things. I decided that, well, it is also, uh, it seems to be that Jesus did exist and was who he said he was. So the um, invitation was to start praying and allow God to show that he does exist in, in somebody's life, that he wants to get to know us. And that is basically what I did. Um, so that from there on, my life just completely changed. My, my view of the world completely changed uh, for the better. And uh, because it's suddenly everything that I saw and I knew from a scientific engineering point of view, but also from life experience and the desire within us for more. Um, just came together and made sense. Um, so it was a huge, uh, a huge turnaround. And not alone did you just convert. You went the whole hog and uh, you took the vows and you're wearing the... Yeah, well, I suppose once that invitation comes, if it is all true, I mean, you don't really have much of a choice. <laughs> and not much of a choice and you have to do it, but because you want to do it. Did I mean, you feel God calling you? Um Personally, there was a moment, a particular moment I can pinpoint that I knew, I think God is actually asking me to do this. And at the time, it was actually quite difficult because I was engaged. Um, so it was, it was, it was a, a little bit of stressful time, but I just knew. You see, and if this is true, if God is that close to us, that if it is that real, if that call comes, you have to consider it. I mean, So you have I'm, to tell the love of your life that the love of your eternal life was calling you. More or less, yeah. It wasn't that straightforward. I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And I know you told me the story in more detail. Last but basically, you'd be telling the story again. You want is, people yeah. to hear your story. Because I think it's personal experiences, obviously, to know about things. But it's personal experiences that are we're connecting to people. Yes. So if we can 
explain things to people but also connect with them yes that is really what, what I really is. like it this is my type of mission I, I, I'll put the other one out of my head forevermore amen <laughs> David come back in and tell me because you are on tomorrow night Tuesday mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow morning and tomorrow night of mm-hmm. course the importance of prayer in yeah. our lives why is yeah. prayer important why is it important to pray well because we're created in the image and likeness of God and we need to communicate with our creator that that's the theological answer but really there's a need in all of us to pray. We all want to commune with our with our Creator, whether we believe in He exists or not. We want so my my remit tomorrow really is to introduce this notion of Catholic Christian prayer to try and, and encourage people to continue to pray as they are praying. I think if you if you walk across the town and go into any bookshop, you're going to see books on spirituality of all sorts. But the Christian spirituality is has been around for for. 2000 years and there's huge stuff that we can we we should be exploring and as Catholics we should be exploring so I'm going to try and encourage people to continue to pray as they're praying but also try and introduce them to a deeper level of prayer and and encourage them that God is is listening to them and that their prayers are answered Give us back our future. That's going to be talked about by Fa- Father Kieran Dugherty later on in the week. The language of the home, uh, the mass, our source of nourishment, uh, healing in a broken world and uh, so on and so on. It goes, you're dealing with some very important subjects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, And you mm-hmm. have a range of men who are going to come and yeah. deliver this as well. There's confessions on as well. Do people yes. still go to confession? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And do I remember when I went as a child, I have a confession to make here. We used to learn it off. Do you remember when you went to confession for us? They said, you better have a few sins made yes, up. But, yeah, you, know, and, yeah. you know, it was something like that. And, and I found it as I went. I haven't been in years. We can change that now if you... <laughs> <laughs> can we go off air just she made Basil say she's going to uh, miss the three o'clock news for my confession live on air here this afternoon well let me tell you you're going to have the three o'clock news at three be assured because if I started I think this would be the end of me I could say today <laughs> I've been, but look seriously confession yeah, no, still relevant absolutely, in the world and today? extremely relevant I mean it's a, it's a huge honour as a priest to hear confessions the the things that people bring to confession that the desire for forgiveness the desire to feel at one with themselves and ultimately to feel at one with the lord is is overpowering for them sometimes and confession is the most humbling experience for a priest and for, for the person who's coming to to confess to know that that jesus loves you to know mm. that that love encompasses you as you are and that you're forgiven nothing in this world compares with it nothing are they more religious in Kerry than Louth? There are more a lot of things in Kerry than Louth. <laughs> um, they, they practice their faith the same as they do here. I mean, there's an yeah. old, in my church, there's an older, yes. an older population. So in that context, yes. They, just, they, they, a, just an aside. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I digress. Anyway, we have to finish up and we have to hit news at three. <laughs> and you're not going to hear my confession. But do, <laughs> folks, just remember, this yes, mission is very special. It's on until the 11th, uh, 10 in the morning, half seven in the evenings. The beautiful Lady of Lourdes Church in Drogheda and Sunday Times are available there as well. It's been been a pleasure meeting you, Father Luke, again on the show today, Father Luke Janssen. And great to meet Thank you. Drogheda man, Father <laughs> David McGovern. Good luck to you both in your Thank mission. Thank you and God bless everybody. Thank you. Thank you. God bless.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Yes, we are playing our part on LMFM Radio in National Apprentice Week because each day this week at this time we're going to be talking about apprenticeships and to begin today I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch Tony Smith who's Senior Training Advisor with the Regional Skills and Training Centre and Jessica Tallon is here she's an apprentice, a wood manufacturing apprentice and she'll give you the full title herself in a moment. You're both very welcome to the show, good to see you, thank you for joining me Tony if I could begin with yourself why this week? Why focus on apprenticeship? Well, as you mentioned, uh, Jerry, this is actually National Apprenticeship Week, so it's a fantastic opportunity to come on and speak to the local companies and listeners and actually promote apprenticeship, which is a fantastic opportunity for young people to develop their skills and grow within a company and have a future in, in an industry. Um, I'm here to talk to you this morning and give you um, an overview of the week. So. As you mentioned, Jessica Tallon, which is uh, Jessica's working for a local company in Edelik, Redwood, it qualifies next week, uh, and she's going to talk about her own experiences today. Tomorrow we have Elma McMahon, which is the other senior training advisor in Dundalk, a colleague of mine. Elma will be giving an overview of the apprenticeship and the experiences um, within the apprenticeship structure, and we'll have Will Harmon uh, speaking tomorrow, which is the owner of EcoStep, um, t- talking about setting up your own. A business. And he's a fellow who was an apprentice and qualified as an apprentice and went on to set up his own business, which is very interesting. So he's here tomorrow. Midweek Wednesday, who have we then? Midweek Wednesday, we have Elma McMahon on again. Uh, that one's always on the radio. Go on. Never off it. Uh, given an overview of the new apprenticeship structure and those that are available out there in conjunction with our uh, traditional apprenticeships. And we also have Edel on from FIT. And that's a very, very exciting new software development um, apprenticeship, okay. a two-year apprenticeship. So someone that has a flair for IT, Wednesday's definitely the... the, um, the yeah, and you know, that is issue. interesting, uh, Tony, because, you know, traditionally we think of plumbers, carpenters, electricians, but this now apprenticeship extends and you're talking about IT there. Oh, it really goes on now. Apart from, as you mentioned there, the traditional trades, we have electrical engineering, we have accountancy, we have uh, sous chef, commie chef... Um, We have the new software programmes that are going to be run in the training centre in Dundalk in conjunction with FIT. Uh, But as I say, that'll be explored more on on Wednesday. Um, Thursday, because we have a very, very large contingency of motor um, employers in the North East. So we're going to have Bernie McEvitt, which is the Assistant Training Manager. She's going to talk about the pre-apprenticeship and the traineeships and give an overview of what else we do in the Coase Road such as the contract training the evening courses etc and we have Connor Whelan which is a past uh, apprentice and now is the electric or the motor mechanic instructor in Dundalk Connor will be on speaking about the apprenticeship structure in motor and talking about the level 5 programme that's run in Diffie which is a fantastic opportunity for maybe an early school leaver that has an interest in the motor trade to gain level 5 and then get his way into the in, into an apprenticeship and, and then f- we round off the week 
Round off the week on Friday, we have Ray Murphy, which is the training centre manager. Ray will be speaking on Friday about skills for employment and giving an overview of the training centre. And then we have uh, Neil Rahel, which is the pipe fitting instructor. And Neil is going to come on and talk about that new exciting apprenticeship, which is up and running in about two years. And that's for the commercial and industrial side of plumbing. And Neil will talk extensively on that. Okay, so we're going to get across the board views from the apprentices themselves, from people who've uh, worked through their apprenticeship and gone into business for themselves and then an overview of what's involved in apprenticeship as well. So a comprehensive week starting today. Jessica Tallon, you're first into the ring. Welcome to Late Lunch. <laughs> Cheers, thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the show. So give us your full title. What are you? So I'm a wood uh, manufacturing and finishing or a cabinet maker as I like to call it. Lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. What took you down this road? So it all would have started in school, into secondary school. I uh, chose to do woodwork, woodwork as a as a subject, and I just I fell in love with it and um, did really well. It was definitely a stronger subject for me, and I went on to do construction for Leavenser. And then after school, I went to do a, a furniture making course out in Bray, which was great. And I was only there about six weeks. And then a local businessman actually came to the college and he had advertised a position for an apprentice. So I liked the idea of, you know, I suppose, um, learn and earn at the same time with the apprentice scheme, which was great. So um, I went for the interview on happy days. I got the job. So that was uh, with Redwood? No, that no, was actually... different company? Yeah, different company at the time. Um, that's when I was out in Dunleary. Okay. Yeah. How long did you spend with that company? Yeah, so... I first started my apprenticeship was out in Dunleary and that was antique restoration. Okay. Um, which was, like, that was, the work was really satisfying. Mm. Like, you really got to see, this was a piece come back to life and my hand skills improved big time. Yeah. So I was there, maybe, I was there two years and kind of hit phase four and I was kind of thinking I wanted to broaden my skills. So then at the time, uh, I saw an opportunity come up in, in Redwood Design went for the interview on Happy Days again. I and you've been there ever since? Yes, I've been there since. And they are based in Dulek in County Meath. Were you exceptional in school, you know, being a girl Yeah, there doing was, this? Yeah, I suppose um, for Woodworks, which was between first and third year, there was two girls in the class. Okay. And then after third year, there was only me. One? Yeah, and... I was, I won't toot my own horn, but I was, I was good, you know. <laughs> is it tough mixing in this world of boys and men? Do they look at you? Do you get, you know, is it still that thing or that it just pay no heed to you? Yeah, I think everybody's, everybody's different. Like, I'd like to say it doesn't make a difference, but there is a bit of element to it. Um, yeah. In my opinion, like short and sweet, if you can do the job and can you do it well, it shouldn't go down to gender, you know. Absolutely. You should just be able to do the job. Yeah. What was that thing you said there about learn and earn? I love that. Is that what you said to me? Yeah, learn and earn. That is a real selling point of apprenticeship, isn't it? Oh, no, absolutely. And that was, for me at the time, like this was 2014, that was something that really, you know, I took to it big time. Um, What's Redwood like as a place to work, an environment? Yeah, no, it's it's great. Like I'm there just probably under two years now at this stage and... um, the work is it's it's always different which mm. makes you know it's interesting and the atmosphere is good in the place and um, we only moved into Duleek Business Park just kind of over a year now at this stage mm. and um, the the workshop is a lot bigger you know it's a lot more modern easier to work in and actually we are looking for cabinet makers at the moment so <laughs> which is always good to hear so um and I suppose being closer to Drogheda as well, it'll attract more people. Yeah. And then I suppose coming to the types of work we do, we 
we would class ourselves as a specialist joinery. So the likes of our work might be seen in Google, um, Royal uh, College of Surgeons, and then Penny's headquarters. And like the sort of work is kind of funky joinery and furniture and like these places will be known for that sort of thing you yes know? so they give you a commission or do you get a contract from them and you custom make that in your place and it's fitted out there as well yeah. you work in many genres just not timber no no yeah there's there's different all sorts of material and stuff which is great it always yeah. mixes it up yeah because i was just looking at that you have a broad re- remit out there mm. Well, so what do you do day to day? What's your job? Is, is, does it vary day to day or are you on the same thing? Yeah, it's kind of a tough question, I suppose, because it does vary from day to day. You know, you could be on machines or you could be on a, a CNC one day. Um, well, it's all training. Like I'm still, everything's still training and I'm learning as I go, which is great. But no day is the same, which is which is great. I don't think I could do the same thing all day, every day. I'm I love struggling. that about any job. Yeah. You have variation exactly, there and you yeah, can yeah. see that you have. What were you doing over in the States uh, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, so I was in the States there a couple of weeks ago and I was with... Um, it was with a support network called Whitney and it stands for Women in Trades Network Ireland. And basically we're like a resource for women who are already involved in the trades or maybe wanting to get involved in the trades. And we also work with the education and industry that are, um, we assist them in diver- diversifying their, uh, sorry, their uh, yes. their workforce. And like I said, in Seattle, it was a couple of weeks ago, we um, went to a conference called uh, Women Build Nations. And basically... And men tear them down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Can I throw that in? I'm glad you said it. <laughs> so um, we got we learned loads, and basically the main focus was to understand how they're so successful in recru- recruiting and retaining women within the mm. industry, and then breaking down the barriers. So this is where you want to be. You're happy. Yeah, happy as Larry, I suppose. <laughs> I can see that. You, you love what you do. What would you say to other girls listening today? Because you are small in number, in a, in a niche type of, uh, of business as well. Why do you, why, what would you say to them? Is this something they should really look at? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think like it makes such a difference to get out of bed in the morning and actually do something you like. Like if somebody's passionate for something, they, you should go for it no matter what the job. And same works the other way if it's a man wants to be teaching or nursing. It shouldn't yes. stop them, you know? Mm. And... Like I said, apprenticeships learn and earn at the same time. It's, mm. it's pretty sweet. And I definitely think a lot more people and obviously girls, women should go for it. Don't be put off by that. And vice versa as well to That's men who may go versa, into yeah. traditional female uh, roles as well. It, it should w- work both ways. But especially when you think you are the only one left at the end of school yeah, yeah, doing yeah. this as well. What, what do you dream of? What do you hope someday? I know a woman in Drogheda. Her name is Margaret. She's very successful. She has her own business as well. And she's sort of in a similar space as 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 you mm-hmm. do you dream would you like to run your no, your own place own it someday yeah it's a tough question at the moment just keep going keep learning yeah. you know, it's always every day is a school day for me um but yeah maybe down the line far down the line maybe because i know mm. it's, it's yeah it's i know i know you're only starting yeah. out I've been dying to say this. You're qualified when? I'm qualified on the 14th of November. Woohoo! Yeah. Jessica Talon, you're hired. <laughs> I just always wanted to say that on radio. I'm an old gum, aren't I really? But anyway, I, I, I've got it out of my system now to say. Tony, you're sitting by there listening to this wonderful young woman very attentively as well. She's a real example, a shining example for women in, in, in an area that's not traditionally theirs. Well, she is, uh, as you mentioned there, she's, she's an inspiration. Even when I went out to the country, company and I asked her to speak no no problem to Jessica straight in yeah I'd be up for that and as you mentioned uh, Margaret there in the town and there's three four female apprentices in Navan actually doing yes. doing various um, 
doing various trades. Um, as Jessica mentioned, it's a fantastic opportunity for any young person to take up an apprenticeship. It's a four-year program. You're paid every year as you progress through your seven phases in, in the four years. You're gaining an experience and confidence. You're becoming self-independent. Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity for any young person. And as Jessica mentioned there, you shouldn't be put off. If this is the career you want, um, definitely follow it. Absolutely. So that's today and uh, cabinet making wood manufacturing am i right there yes we've heard about that today and uh, what jessica does as well and we're going to follow on with more of the trades uh, tomorrow and until friday at the same time if people want to find out more about apprenticeship or make an inquiry about this yeah, what's the easiest way we're based on the Coes road in dundalk uh, the number is 042 uh, and you'll be able to get in contact with myself tony smith or elma mcmahon the two training advisors there and we can give you any information you want but anyone interested in apprenticeship definitely tomorrow is the day to tune in when Elman will be speaking about how to get it the overview the structure what it all entails brilliant 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 may I wish you well Jessica and congratulations and celebrate your qualification as well I'm I'm sure you will thank you all for joining me on late lunch this afternoon that's a lot on the show for this Monday if you want that number we have it off the usual number 1850715958 we are getting messages about strickening having time to check the spelling we will after the show and we'll come back and tell you what's the correct Correct way to spell poison tomorrow, sometime after half one. Have a lovely Monday. See you Tuesday. Take care. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.